Hello and a warm welcome to this week's edition of On A Day Unplugged, Tuesday the 23rd of November 2021. Terry Sheehan's across the pond stateside and I'm Jeremy Hawkins in London. Now the dollar's had a pretty good November so far, but part of the reason for that, this also been a particularly bad month for the euro. Since late October's peak, the currency's lost, what, nearly 4% against the dollar, 3.5% against the pound, and it's also down a couple of percent or so against the Japanese yen, with no end in sight to negative interest rates in the eurozone, a combination of rising speculation about early Fed tightening, the recent sharp escalation in European COVID cases and the ongoing Brexit battle over the Northern Ireland Protocol is probably largely to blame. However, significantly too, the euro is also down about 2.5% versus Europe's number one safe haven currency, the Swiss franc, where local interest rates are even lower. So it seems that building geopolitical tensions around some eastern states, notably Russia, Belarus, Poland and Ukraine, are weighing too. None of this looks likely to go away anytime soon, so the euro could be in for a rough ride in a run up to Christmas, unless the ECB adopts a less dovish tone. December's policy meeting will be crucial. Having said all that, anything that dampens Fed tightening speculation could at least provide the euro with some temporary support. So, Terry, is there anything in this week's holiday shortened calendar likely to encourage, let's say, a more dovish view of where US monetary policy might be headed? At the moment, I would say no. Uh, we're looking at some early surveys for activity in the factory sector and service sector for November, and the numbers are actually pretty good. Uh, most of the indexes are holding stable or increasing, and uh, it looks like orders are coming in. Uh, so in spite of things like higher prices and for inputs and supply chain delays, things are going along pretty well here in the U.S. So what sort of number off the top of your head or back of the envelope would you expect for fourth quarter GDP as things currently stand? Well, looking at some of the very early now casts, and we only really have solid data for October, mm. uh, it's looking like it'll be somewhere around 4% or so, which is twice what we saw in the third quarter. And that's being generated out of? A lot of it's consumer spending. Um, right. in, spite, in spite of the fact that we've seen some pretty dismal readings of consumer confidence over here at the same time. Um, it does not seem to have had a too much of an impact on consumer spending, especially going into the holiday period. Tell uh, me, how, how much weight do you attach to the view that suggests that because inflation is so high stateside, as in so many other countries around the world at the moment, is actually encouraging consumers to pull forward their purchasing now, you know, presumably at the expense of, of, of buying in the future? I, I certainly think that's the case for some items. Uh, but um, I also think, and of course, inflation is, you know, money chasing too few goods. But uh, really, I think a lot of the spending right now is things like we've had a very strong housing market. People need new appliances, mm -hmm. uh, new furniture, things like that. Uh, so some of that is just out of sheer necessity. Uh, but um, it's also I I just think American consumers, I mean, my just anecdotally seeing 
what's on the shelves and stuff. People here are not used to not just being able to walk into a store and have whatever they want. Uh, We're we're seeing, you know, you're having to make choices and substitutions that you didn't before. And um, so I think that's one of the things that's sort of driving spending is people are because they're not sure they're going to be able to get what they want, they get what they can. Right. Okay. So, yeah, get it while you can. Exactly. Okay. Well, that that certainly makes sense. Well, yep. Sorry. I will also mention that, you know, uh, people are doing things like um, they're looking at a car purchase right now and what it's going to cost them to finance it. And, um, you know, so even though, Automobiles are relatively expensive right now because the prices have gone up and dealers are not offering the same discounts with the short inventories. Uh, People are still committing to those kinds of purchases because the financing is relatively cheap now. Right. That's certainly logical enough. All right, then. Um, Obviously, I've got to ask you about Mr. Powell, um, potentially renominated as of yesterday. Does it really matter that much? I know there's been so much talk about it over the last oh, however many weeks, if not months it is now, but sort of confirmation of sort of, I guess, of what the market anticipated. Is it had got any major implications for Fed policy next year? Uh, not huge ones, but it does suggest that um, Biden is paying attention to what markets want at this point um, and having some, a known quantity at in charge of the Fed is important to them. Uh, but, you know, there was the possibility, of course, that Lael Brainerd, who mm-hmm. is somewhat more dovish in her outlook than Powell might have been in charge. So um, I think we're essentially looking at uh, a fairly steady outlook for monetary policy. That said, um, if growth comes in strong in the fourth quarter, we are very likely to see an acceleration in the pace of reductions of asset purchases. Uh, Although Powell has used the word patient in regard to how policymakers approach this, uh, I I think there is increasing concern about inflation remaining too high for too long. And of course, the instrument that the Fed has is to reduce accommodation in order to slow price increases. So uh, they don't want to raise rates yet, at least until they've got the asset purchases out of the way. So um, we could see an increase in the pace. So rather than by mid-year, as they've been vaguely talking about, uh, we could see them um, end much sooner. Okay, and I guess on that front, I should ask you what we'll have the uh, minutes of the FOMC meeting out this week, won't we, when the the actual taping itself was announced. Do you think that will give any fresh insight as to what might happen to policy going forward? Uh, Because we got the announcement of the taper and it was six weeks ago, um, there's a lot that's happened in markets and with the economic data since then. So, um, I think what we'll be looking for is if they're, in fact, considering accelerating the pace of the reductions of asset purchases um, in January or February, um, 
if, if that's really the way they're leaning and they're just sort of introduced the 15 billion a month as you know a way to get started and see how markets react to it. Uh, what's going to be really critical is not the minutes, but the summary of economic projections in the next meeting. Uh, the minutes may give us a hint if a majority of policymakers are leaning toward increasing rates sooner th mm -hmm. rather than later, but we won't actually know that until next meeting when they do a formal update of their quarterly projections. Okay, well, I guess everything you've said so far kind of suggests um, if you're looking for something out in the States, which is going to boost investor sentiment towards the euro, then it ain't going to be coming. Um, and indeed, I guess it's worth mentioning also uh, while we're on that the uh, the US ECDI, so a kind of day's measure of how the, the market, how the economy is actually performing versus market expectations. That's what currently running in the 40s, which really does suggest that, as Terry was intimating, there could be a very decent pick, pick up in economic activity in the fourth quarter and rather more than market was originally and anticipating. Um, last thing from, from my side, I want to ask you, Terry, is about the, um, as often do ask you, the Build Back Better bill. So through the House, but what's going to happen in the Senate? <sighs> well, Good answer. I, if you could have done a deeper <laughs> side, it would have been excellent. You know, it's, at this point, like, who knows? Um, I, I think the bill will make it through. I think there will be a great deal of noise and posturing around it. Um, but because this is really mostly hard infrastructure and Republicans like that, uh, there will be enough votes to get it through. OK, I mean, were it not to go through, do you think that would be a major blow to investor sentiment? Um, probably not, because uh, I think what they would see would be um, and an administration retrenching on it and trying to find a fresh path to get it to go through. But it, it would mean a delay of some of this infrastructure investment, not the end of it. OK, fair enough then. Well, that's it in terms of my questions. Anything else you would, you'd like to put into the pot? Well, um, really, the main thing this week is uh, getting the issue of the nomination for Fed chair out of the way. Um, there's somewhat mixed sentiment over here about Powell having a second term, but I think he will uh, prevail in his confirmation process. Um, I think there's a lot of approval of Lael Brainerd as vice chair. I think she's um, incredibly well qualified for the job, and I think she'll make a good show of it. Um, but then there's three more places on the Fed that are going Sorry, to be yeah. needed soon. And so when, when, do, when, do we do, when do we expect to hear about those? Soon, I hope. But um, given that any nomination made now, if the confirmation process is not complete uh, by the end of this congressional session, they'll have to renominate them in January when the new session starts. So they may wait until then um, to allow the confirmation process of Powell and Brainerd to their respective jobs to get done before the waters get muddied with a fresh batch of new governors who will be very hard to get confirmed. Right. It, does, it almost doesn't matter who they are. It will be hard to get them confirmed. <laughs> OK. All right. Excellent. Thanks, as always, Terry.
Um, right, let's move across to uh, my part of world in Europe. Um, I guess, as we just touched on briefly last week, it's a case of COVID coming back with a vengeance over here. As uh, people might have seen in Austria, uh, there's now a full minimum, at least 10 day lockdown, nationwide lockdown. It could last as long as 20 days. That came into effect as of yesterday, uh, Monday. There also be legal requirement to be vaccinated from the 1st of February next year. Now, the of restrictions also being introduced in a number of Eurozone states and indeed right across the European Union. Um, which to varying degrees is going to hit economic activity in the fourth quarter and of course potentially widen the gap between demand and supply that's already helping to boost inflation. Now in terms of the latest economic numbers, well from the inflation side they still look pretty horrible which of course is one reason again I think why the euro is struggling because the ECB by and large is standing with the view it's temporary and we're not going to do anything with policy. But anyway out of Germany last week we saw the uh, producer price index for October. That's now running at a, an annual rate of some 18.4%. So 18.4%, which that's the highest we figures, figure we've seen there since November 1951. And for a country like Germany, which uh, ever since the old days of the Weimar Republic, um, doesn't like to see essentially any inflation whatsoever. This is extremely bad news. And indeed, we've had um, the Bundesbank coming out, suggesting that we could see inflation in Germany as high as almost six percent earlier on next year. Uh, the, the head of the Bundesbank, Jens Wiedmann, uh, suggested inflation in Germany may, for the fact for the eurozone may still be above uh, the two percent target level in 2023. So there's a lot of pressure starting to emanate from some of the more, you know, certain more inflation prone and traditionally anti-inflation members of the eurozone block now on the ECB to, to start thinking about adjusting policy. And uh, is it going to change? Well, it doesn't like it at the moment, but it's probably worth worthwhile mentioning uh, Isabel Schnabel. Well, she's a member of the executive board of the ECB, um, who today came out and said that the risks to inflation are skewed to the upside. Now, for many people, that may just be a case of stating what is pretty well obvious. Uh, but importantly, Schnabel, um, although she's very much a German, she's not a stereotypical German monetary policy hawk, as you would traditionally expect from some of the Bundesbank. Uh, she's rather someone with a much more neutral view of where monetary policy should be. So it could just be that this is a first tentative step towards forewarning of a possible shift in tone, possibly even at December's policy meeting. That most definitely is going to be very much a key focal point for the market as these inflation rates pretty well right across the eurozone continue to accelerate you know, to see whether or not the ECB is finally going to have to bite the bullet and, and suggest it's at least looking towards making, making policy less accommodative. Now that said, Christine Lagarde just last Friday was uh, to quote her, um, the conditions to raise rates are very unlikely to be satisfied next year. So even if we do see any kind of shift in the direction of, um, let's say, you know, tapered uh, quantity of asset purchases or whatever it may be, it still seems that interest rates going to remain negative for some considerable while yet. And that's got to be bad news as far as the, the euro itself is concerned. Just quickly going back to uh, the real side of the economy for the moment, the flash uh, purchasing managers indices we had out this morning were actually for once uh, surprisingly firm. 
Uh, they actually came in at 55.8 on the flash composite output index for the eurozone as a whole. However, within that, uh, we've got record increases again in both input prices and output prices. That's called part of this helps to bias up the headline index in itself. And simply looking at the one of the sub indices for manufacturing output, how is this 53.8, which best by all means is above the 50 expansion threshold, but compared to what the rest of the economy might think is going on from a headline PMI index, it suggests it's still a pretty sluggish performance by manufacturing. And indeed, right across Europe, as across with so much of the world currently, these global supply chain issues are continuing to, to dampen down, uh, particularly out, but also, but also to some extent, uh, what's happening on the demand side as well. Um, I do just mention, uh, just at least touch on the geopolitical risk, which uh, I, I did include in the intro. Um, it's something which is coming important, I think, now, and it certainly seems to be impacting the euro. Whenever you see the euro start to um, fall significantly against the lights of the Swiss franc, as I mentioned, the main safe haven currency in Europe, you know there's something typically you know, uncertain going on, which is really worrying investors. It does seem now that some of the uh, political skirmishes which are happening on the, the eastern borders for the eurozone seems to be undermining investor sentiment. And we've got internal EU disputes still ongoing uh, with Poland and Hungary at the moment. But with all this talk coming out about a possible Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, and that's both coming out of the US security side, and there's been some you know, some murmurs to that effect from NATO as well. It's certainly, I think, having investors putting them on the back foot and keeping a very wary eye about what's going on in that part of the world. So I think there's still a fair amount of um, events and uh, general data at the moment surrounding the euro, which suggests that markets are going to look at the single currency, still at least in a vaguely bearish uh, frame of mind for a little while to come yet. By contrast, um, not so much bearishness towards the pound, and that's strengthened particularly against the euro, but as we mentioned, that's partly due to euro weakness. But the, by and large, the latest figures, I guess to the extent we can believe what the Bank of England might be saying these days, would appear to be consistent with the idea that bank rate will be hiked when we get to the next meeting in December. It's still far from certain, uh, definitely, but nonetheless, the latest figures um, suggest that the economy is picking up steam in the fourth quarter, a bit like Terry was talking about from the US side. Um, and crucially also, in thinking back to the, the last meeting when everyone was expecting the bank to raise interest rates and they didn't do it. And one crucial reason why they left interest rates where they were was because of a labour market. And they were concerned that the end of the furlough programme at the end of September uh, could hit the market quite hard. Well, the latest we got from the uh, the flash PMI uh, data this morning suggests that for what it's worth, the labour market actually continued to hold up very well in mid-quarter. So to that extent, taken together with, again, like the Eurozone, record increase in both input costs and output prices for the UK, you know, net, nets or knits itself together quite nice of the idea that you know, the bank rate will go up once we get into the September time. And indeed, in terms of the official inflation data over here, uh, the October CPI annual inflation now at 4.2%, uh, as well above what the market was anticipating when it came out last week, equals its highest level since, what, November 2011. The core rate's at 3.4% now. Uh, that's at its highest rate since April 2011. And we've also seen a bounce back in retail sales um, in October. And that's the first increase we've seen since April. Um, so the signs are that mentioned that fourth quarter in the UK could actually look relatively decent. Um, it does appear to be helping the pound. And certainly it's also, again, got markets focusing very much on, on December meeting for a possible increase uh, in UK bank rate. But as we've seen before, it may yet be wrong.
OK, quickly rounding off some of the other bits and pieces mentioned in terms of the central banks. Uh, later on today, um, out of uh, New Zealand, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand is expected to hike interest rates again, uh, a further 25 basis points, which would take the uh, the cash rate up to 0.75%. Uh, but to be honest, that seems to be more than fully priced in. There has been some talk of a larger 50 basis point hike. Um, and as I suspect in terms of the currency, if we do only see 25 basis points then it won't be particularly supportive as far as the Kiwi dollar is concerned. Um, out of Korea, um, they hiked by, what, 25 basis points back in August to 0.75%, and they're expected to deliver another 25 basis points on Wednesday. So that would put them up to, or their official rate, up to 1.0%. And that would be after the October CPI hit uh, a 3.2% annual rate, um, that, this, that being its highest figure since January 2012. So I guess, you know, pull it all together. Wherever you tend to look around the world at the moment, inflation rates still seem to be moving up. Um, it may be that they're going to come down next year, and there's good reason for supposing that they will do, but it still seems to be the case that inflation will be higher and last longer than many of the official policymakers originally expected. And in that kind of environment, if you're not seen to be doing something about it, such as the ECB, um, it's going to start unnerving investors. And that's one reason why, as mentioned, I do think the scope for this euro currency to fall further over the case of the course of coming weeks and months. OK, then. Well, let's wrap it up there then. Um, so I guess what with Thanksgiving Day holiday just around the corner, US data is going to be in short supply after Wednesday, but there's still plenty of new releases and events to keep an eye on elsewhere. So be sure to keep up to date with the big picture for Conaday's global economic calendar. On behalf of Terry and myself, thanks as always for listening. Have a great Thanksgiving and the podcast. We'll be back again next week. Bye for now.